SideTrack is an ultra-portable USB monitor that attaches to the back of your laptop for a more productive workday, whether you are at home, at the office, in a coffee shop, or on the go. Anyone who works with two screens knows just how tedious multitasking and referencing documents can be on a laptop. SideTrack allows you to combine the portability of a laptop and the productivity of a dual monitor setup. Studies show that you are 24% more productive and can save four hours a week working with two screens. Imagine what you can accomplish with all that extra time. I seriously love the SideTrack portable monitor. I use it all the time. It's a must-have and super easy to use and set up. For 10% off, visit sidetrack.com slash discount slash greater than code. That's S-I-D-E-T-R-A-K dot com slash discount slash greater than code. everyone, this is episode 161 of Greater Than Code, and I am Artemis Starr, and I am here with my super cool, awesome friend, Shante Thurmond. Hello, Shante here, and I am here with our new-ish panelist, Jacob Stobel. Hello. Hi, Jacob. So I'm going to read the bio. Barry A. Williams is VP of Legal, Business, and Policy Affairs at All Turtles, a startup advisor in the tech industry, and published author in the New York Times, Wired, Fortune, and Fast Company. She is the former head of business operations management for North America at StubHub, where she was responsible for business planning and operations to manage and oversee technical internal and external metrics product innovation, and partnerships, and drive P&L results across the company. She also serves as an advisor to startups in the enterprise and e-commerce space. Prior to StubHub, Bari was senior commercial attorney at Facebook, supporting internet.org, connectivity efforts, building drones, satellites, and lasers, and supporting the company's supply chain. She also successfully took on the passion project of creating and implementing Facebook's supplier diversity program, launched in October 2016. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yay. Yay. What is your superpower and how did you acquire it? Mm. I will say this has been more highlighted this week than any other week. My son is a nine-year-old fourth grader and he came home with a very woke question to write a prompt to. And it was like, hey, is it the duty of the school or your parents to tell you how to deal with law enforcement? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And that made me stop and think about multiple things. But also my superpower is being a black woman. That's it. That's the tweet. Tweet it. Do whatever. (laughs) I love that. That's it. My superpower is being a black woman. And the reason why is because I have seen nothing but black women work the entirety of my lifetime from my own mother, my grandmother, my great grandmother, and they did everything that they needed to do. And then came home and cooked the food and made sure you ate the food and they cleaned up the dishes and they did everything else. And that's also horrible because I have insomnia. So thanks mom, grandma, and great-grandma. I have insomnia. 
also, and my kids have insomnia, <laughs> which is horrible, <laughs> especially as a parent. That's like especially horrible. It's like, please go to bed. <laughs> no, but I'm like, but no, really, go to bed. And they're like, but you're awake. Yeah, but like I'm doing something that at least earns money. Can you go to sleep? <laughs> so for me, my superpower is being a black woman. We vote. We take care of home. We take care of the companies. We do everything that people ask us to do and then then some. And there isn't necessarily a gratitude for that. So that's that. Well, Bari, this is Shantae. I can I can relate to you. I'm a black woman. Technically, I'm a half black woman because I'm half Mexican, too. Ooh, child. Ooh. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to go on a total aside right now. My boyfriend <laughs> in college for the first three years, his mother was Mexican and his father was black. See? And he, girl, I learned how to make tamales. I learned. I appreciated, the, like, there was so much similarity. Like, when we yeah. talked and our families talked in terms of the differences and the hardships in terms of what you had to get through. And so I appreciated him that much more and vice versa. We could get married because like the lives we wanted were just not similar at all. But, (laughs) but, but I appreciate him and I still talk to him today. Like we meet twice a year. That is our deal. We meet twice a year and have a cocktail Mm -hmm. Um, because he's also a lawyer. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And his sister, his sister found me on LinkedIn and she was like, I remember when you combed my hair out when I was in fifth grade. Oh, (laughs) wow. Yeah. And she's like, you did this better than anybody else in my family did. And I was like, yeah, I know, because they didn't really know how your hair was going. I mm, I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was raised by a a Mexican mom, but she knew how to do some black hair. I'm just going to say that. They they didn't. But what I also appreciated is that they admitted that they didn't know. Yeah. And that is, but not just that, but what that taught me later going through life is like, this is a lot like industry is a lot of these folks don't admit what they don't know. That's so true. So you make mistakes because you are not willing to sacrifice your ego to say, I don't know this and I'm not going to know this and I'm not going to learn it. Mm. And and these folks did. So Mm. Mm -hmm. that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the interesting thing. It's, it's funny that we're going, that we're just starting off going straight into like the intersectionality and the culture stuff, but I think it's pretty relevant based on all the work you're doing and the work I'm doing, the work that we're talking about on the show. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, it's something that I think is really relevant to talk about when we're thinking about technology and the people who are, or, you know, even in this, just the innovation and the technology spaces, like showing up and, being your full self and being your full self, you know, depending on how you identify means that you're not going to be the expert on every single thing, mm-hmm. you know, and to, to basically admit that when you get an opportunity to, I think yeah. coming up and saying it like sets a tone, it like sets a great example. And those of us who have maybe had to live a little bit more intersectionality or more, more intersectionally are more comfortable. At least I can speak for myself. I'm very comfortable saying, you know, I, I'm coming at this from this angle because of my place in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think it's given me a competitive advantage going yeah. into places and spaces. And that's, I think that's probably how I look at it too, in the sense that 
I don't have an ego. Like, who am I? And honestly, I don't I don't look at it just as like, who am I? Because I'm not Bill Gates or I'm not Beyonce or I'm not. But my thing is like, who is anybody? We're all people. At the end of the day, you're all people. You are still sitting on the toilet. <laughs> you are still figuring out how do you put on one leg after the other? You're still trying to figure out like, is your child potty trained appropriately? Like, I'm nobody. And so yeah. I don't look, I don't, I just, that's not how I was raised. Honestly, like at the end of the day, that isn't how I was raised. And that may be different. And that's something that you should consider. Like other people are not raised that way. Like True. they are raised to believe that they're superior and different and special and better. And like, nah, I, I wasn't. My mama was like, this is what we doing. This is how you doing it. And here's how it goes. <laughs> so, oh, where were you? You were you were raised in Oakland. Yes. So I was literally born in Oakland Kaiser. My children, okay. both of my children, born in that same Oakland Kaiser. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And my mom was an OUSD teacher, and okay. she she also taught in Berkeley Unified for, but the duration of her career was forty years. So between Oakland and Berkeley, she taught there for 40 years. And so they're really like, when I tell you random, there will be people I'm getting a muffin on a Saturday. And some of you are like, are you Miss Hall's daughter? And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, I just want to get this muffin. Like, what are you talking to me? And they're like, oh, you're Miss Hall's daughter. And I'm like, yes. So, I mean, but to me, that is like, that is just an example of like, that is who I descend from. Yes. Like you, my mom left a mark on you. And the bigger part, which I always think is super funny, is like now at this point, she has taught generations of people. So she has taught people who are parents and now their grandparents. And I'm like, oh, are you that old? But you're not that old. <laughs> She's like... I don't think I'm that old, but that's the thing is like my mother is like such an integral part of my life that I love that she is such a part of these other students' lives. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I think I think it's a special thing. I'm not sure. I think Artie and Jacob, I think that they live places that they don't that they didn't grow up in, at least for me too. It's a special thing when you get to come up in a city that you love and that you're proud to be in. And then you can like kind of see the the marking of a legacy or several legacies of, you mm -hmm. know, generations. Mm -hmm. So I, I admire that in families when I get to see it in action, which is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, both of my parents are from here. My dad is from North Richmond, which is super impoverished and is a food desert and is structured around what I would call environmental racism in the sense that it's surrounded by refineries. And so the fact that he doesn't even have asthma is like a miracle. And he met my mom and my mom, you know, lived in Oakland and lived in this upper class area of Oakland. And that's a whole Romeo and Juliet story on its own. But, <laughs> and I always say like, oh girl, why are you making, you shouldn't have got me. Mm. But, <laughs> but, but you got married and great. So I'm the best decision that's born out of your bad decisions. Good for you. Right. But it is very interesting to just even see that 
Because you don't see that anymore because people are transplants. They don't understand the geography. They don't know the areas. They don't understand the significance of these places. And it's very interesting to see that, especially as a native, to be like, oh, my God, I remember the first time I saw a white girl jogging with a dog in West Oakland. And I was like, oh, it's a wrap. (laughs) <laughs> like wait a minute now yeah <laughs> i was like oh we done early signs like, of gentrification. We, we done ain't nothing to talk about no more like this is a wrap wow like literally yeah like yeah literally projects are right across the street and you're like oh i'm jogging with this dog no interesting <laughs> so you know speaking of gentrification one of the things that have come up to me lately or come on my mind lately is this idea of like tech gentrification not necessarily yeah. like, oh we got big tech in these areas that's one thing i'm talking about like literally where we see digital spaces virtual spaces uh that have been you know really places where black people or people of color have gone and gathered and then we see people extracting like for instance black twitter where we see people extracting or like on Instagram, for instance, where we see people extracting or we see that there are, you know, algorithms and things like that, that have been basically for tech ethnic cleansing and for, you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. For detriment and not for good. I know that that is something that you were hoping to talk about on the show today, you know, thinking about AI and the unintended consequences Yeah. The big thing for me is really trying to understand and to advocate for those spaces and places. And the issue for me is I am somebody literally from and of born of this community. Like I am from Oakland. I was born in Oakland. I was raised in Oakland. I probably will die in Oakland if you leave it to my husband. So to me, it is, you know, watching the Warriors leave, watching the Raiders leave, like every single thing is you're leaving. Why are you leaving? What are we not giving you? And to me, there's an interesting thing there where it's like you're telling this population that there's a deficit, that there's something about them that is not sufficient. But what is that? What's not sufficient about this population? What are we not giving you? What are we not showing you? What are we not providing? And that is so huge to me as somebody who lives here and was born here and raised here. Like I went to Berkeley because I didn't want to leave my community. And so I went to Berkeley and I was a Raiders intern when they hosted the All-Star Game and they were trash. Let me be very clear. Trash. My they uncle's going to listen to this and be very they, mad at us. No, love the Raiders. no, they were trash <laughs> in the year 99, 2000, when I was there in an intern and we hosted the work, they were trash. And so the fact that you would leave a community that has held you down for 40 plus years, what are you not getting? What do you need? What can we give you? And part of me is like, I don't even want to ask this because I'm like, I'm not a begging ass bitch. I'm not a begging person. I don't, if I'm in a bad relationship and we not working out, I'm, I don't ask this shit. <laughs> like, go. Like, that's literally how I feel. But the reason why I ask this for this type of community is like, these are jobs. This is a community. This is hope. This is 
how we feel about you and you're not addressing any of that. So yeah. what are you doing? This kind of goes back to that question somewhat, what you said your son was asking, like whose responsibility is it when you have this gentrification mm -hmm. situation mm -hmm. happening? Whose mm -hmm. responsibility is it to address it, to fix it, to, yeah. to make it better? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And I will tell you, honestly, I woke up this morning to do book edits at about 3.30 this morning. And by five o'clock in the morning, I was in my son's bed because <laughs> it's super comfortable. <laughs> Cause, <laughs> and also because I didn't have answers. <laughs> I don't have, I, duh, I don't have the answers. <laughs> but for me, that's the hard part is I don't have the answers for you. And I feel like my job, not just as a parent, but as somebody who is from the town and reps the town and we should have the answers for you. And we don't. And that wow. sucks. It sucks. The thing I'm hearing from you is this vantage point that I'm not used to ever hearing that is this center of roots. It's this standing at the center of the home tree of the community Mm -hmm. all the branches mm -hmm. in the community and seeing those roots in the connections to place, to family, to these people that you, you know, lift and support yeah. and, you know, live in this connected space together. And I, I think the, you know, I think about the effects of like Twitter and being pulled into our phones in this virtual world also disconnects us from the tree, from our home tree, mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. each other that are mm -hmm. around us. And then this generation that has been growing up and getting, you know, sucked into these worlds of their devices need a way to find their way back to the people that are right around them. Find your actual people. Yeah. Right. And that is so hard for me. Like, I'm like, ugh, I'm getting emotional at the idea of it. And the reason why is like, I grew up here, and so I, my grandparents moved here, and really after, like, I don't know how many of you watch Watchmen, <laughs> but on HBO, but my grandparents, their families, they all moved after the also riots, and they moved here. And so for me, it is very emotional, because it's a thing where they're like, we don't feel like even we can build business and build empowerment and build a space where we can make money. It's not safe. And so they left and they came to California. And so for me, that's a safe space that they thought that they built. And to see that not be the case, even with me or see that with my son is very, very hard. And, I hate it. Like I, I hate it. I don't. <laughs> I don't know another way. I hate it. But it is something you should think about. Like, how do you build black wealth? What does that look like? What are the steps? How do you foster that? How do you incubate it? And how do you make sure it's protected? Because my grandmother, her family, they they were from Tulsa, and they thought that that's what they had there. And it didn't happen. And then the Tulsa riots happened and they moved to California. So what do you do? 
And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know that anybody has the right answer to that, especially in this administration, right? Like, what do you do? So, like, these people are crazy. This is a whole different conversation we could have because I'm a lawyer. And so, like, this entire week has been, like, lawyer Super Bowl to me. (laughs) In terms of, like, oh, this person said this. And, oh, he discounted this record of, oh, oh, oh. So, what do we do? But... There's nothing that is necessarily protected or confined. And so how do you deal with that? Like facts are not facts anymore. And that is, for me as an attorney, is incredibly hard. I don't understand the concept of that even. Like how do you not have a situation where facts are not facts? Like that's crazy. That's crazy. That literally, you're crazy. So, like, why are we even having a conversation? Because these are the facts. And they're like, nope, they're not. It's different. We have alternative facts. What? So, so, so from an illegal standpoint and from a technology standpoint, right, where we're thinking about building the future and, like, architecting it, what do we stand to gain by building in algorithms that, that fact check? You know what I mean? That, that check for and basically try to have some type of around sort of structural racism we see built into law. Mm-hmm. So one thing I always ask people, particularly when it deals with AI and machine learning, who fact checks the fact checkers? Who are those people? And Nobody. if you cannot show me who they are and their credentials, I don't believe you. Now, again, maybe I am contributing to facts aren't facts (laughs) but I really believe if you are not able to tell me who was fact checking the fact checkers then you don't know what you're doing and you're not aware of what you're building and you don't care about what you're building and how you're building it and that is a problem so I need to know where are you getting your information Have you gotten your information from a second source? Okay, no, you haven't. Okay, great. But who's fact-checking the first source? Okay, you don't know? That's a problem. All of these things are issues. We need to make sure that we're building technology that is inclusive for everyone, for differently abled people, for women, for people of minority coalitions. Like, if you're not thinking about this and you are not, really working towards this, then you're working against it. That's how I look at it. You're working against it. I feel like one of the themes that we're, we discussed on this show a lot that I think you're touching on is that often AI and machine learning is, or the people that build it, are very good at gen- making something that comes up with an answer that feels true and can make them a lot of money. But the uh, but unanswer like uh, mm-hmm. uh, answer is is very different from a just or equitable answer or a one that is considerate of social side effects yeah and but that's that's not i wouldn't say that that is unique to them though that's most people and the reason why i say that is like you know most people they don't know what they don't know and so i don't I try very hard not to hold that against people. Like a lot of folks don't know what they don't know. And that's okay. The problem 
when it be when it actually becomes a problem is when you know that you don't know what you don't know and you're cool with it and you're like oh, I'm gonna roll with it. No. That is the moment when you need to say, "Hey, I need help." And people usually don't do that. And so my issue with this is around understanding, you know, you're dealing with certain issues, algorithms, whatever. But those people have not said that they don't know what they don't know. And that's the problem. So now what they're trying to do is they're going to go back on Monday and do their work and they're going to build these algorithms into their work. That's an issue. And the reason why it's a huge issue, particularly to people like me, is you're not thinking about creditworthiness. You're not thinking about college admissions. You're not thinking about how do we discern if this person is or isn't worthy of certain issues within the criminal justice system. Like, this is a problem. And if you are not actively thinking about it, you're not going to solve for it. That is my bigger issue. My son, literally, my son came home. I, I don't even want to get upset about this, but it makes me so mad. But my son came home on Tuesday with a prompt that he had to write a paragraph to. And the prompt said, is it the job of your school or your parents to tell you how to deal with law enforcement? And I'm just like, what? This shouldn't even fucking happen. Like, this shouldn't be a thing. And then two, hell no, your school can't take, like, they, they can't, I mean, yes, we pay them, but they can't tell you because it's a predominantly white school, so they cannot tell you the nuance of you being a brown, five-foot-tall, nine-year-old black boy, how to deal with law enforcement. They can't tell you, so let me tell you. And I literally sat and gave him, which is a whole different thing. I had to do this for a Boy Scout troop that was predominantly black last year. I gave them instructions on how to deal with law enforcement. And it was literally me telling them, put your hands on the dash. And then after that, when they ask you questions, narrate every single thing you do for them. And it was me telling my son, who is nine, Okay, now I'm going to take my left hand. I'm going to move it. I'm going to put it in my back pocket because that's where my license and registration are. And the fuck that. I mean, that's what Philandro did up in, you know, and it didn't matter. Yeah, exactly. I used to live there. That, that, I have friends who are friends with him or who were yeah. friends with him. But I think, you know, he worked in that school. Guess what? He was teaching kids the same thing. Just That was like a thing he did. Exactly. And I, I try very hard to not, I don't even know that I have a good answer for this, but like it, it, it hurts. Like, I don't want to do this. I really don't. Like, this is my child and he is a child. He's nine. And the fact that I have to explain this to him and tell him to do this is hard because he doesn't know but he has to know because I want him to live. And this is trash. Yeah. Oh, <sighs> that's heavy. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was going to apologize for. No, I know. No, no. I, I am very professional. And like this made me like, I just. Mm-hmm. 
hey, please don't apologize for the real and the rawness of it. I think that's sort of the interesting thing about a show like this is that, you know, we want to celebrate. We want to call out. Yeah, but, but you, this is, he, so he can't control how tall he is, right? He can't control no. how tall his mom or dad is. You can't see. I'm 5'10". Oh, wow. My husband is is 6'6". Six, six. Oh, yeah. So he is nine years old and he's five feet. Wow. And so talk to him like he's 12 or 13. And he's not, clearly. And trust me, he definitely, if you ask him some shit, he is not. So, <laughs> so it is hard. <laughs> Because I don't want him to get stopped. And he's like, what do I do? Like, this is what they said to me. And, and so I had to give a tutorial. And the, even the fact that I had to give this tutorial last year to Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. I had to give this tutorial last year to a troop of black Boy Scouts. And said, here's what you do if you get stopped by police. Put your hands on the dash wait for whatever they say, and then you articulate and narrate every single movement that you make. Like, okay, so now I'm going to take my left hand, I'm going to put it in my left backhand pocket to get my wallet, to give it to you. Like, this is, fuck, why? Like, why? I have to tell you to do this so you don't get shot. This is bullshit. Yeah. And you know, the, I mean, the thing, the thing that uh, I, I feel you are, because I have two boys and, and, and we live in Chicago. So, you know, I'm terrified. I mean, I am legitimately terrified And my significant other, his family lives on the South side. And he was telling me he was gonna take the kids. I said, for what? Like, hell no, you're not taking our kids down to the South side. No. <laughs> nothing, nothing like, what do you, what's your plans? Like you are a target every single day. He's like, Oh, you need to stop. I said, no, for real. Like you are a target. They do shoot people and kill them on the interstate. Innocent right. black people just like right. you. And they're not going to be caring if you have two babies. They in don't the back. care if you're on the South side or not. They don't care. And so, and no, so that, answer, no, exactly. And that's why I was like, let me, I hated that I had to do this particularly for this troop, but this was a, predominantly black troop and I said this is what you have to do here's how you do it put your hands on the dash don't ask questions and then when they start at you say I'm going to take my left hand and put it in my back pocket and I'm going to take out my wallet at that time and I'm just going to give you my wallet I'm not even going to take shit out like (laughs) I'm just going to give it to you so you get what you need but the fact that I even have to give instructions like it sucks it sucks it does suck it honestly sucks it's not fair but i want my son to be alive totally and so that's what i have to do yeah see this is where it gets to be interesting where it's the magic like the gift that you bring is being a black woman it is but like what does it mean though but what does it mean in moments like this, but what does it mean? So here's I'm, how I interpret it for myself, and I'm, you know, and I'm listening to you tell the story. It's like it's our gift and our curse. Some days, right? We wake up and we're like, it's amazing to be black. It's amazing, like black culture is so dope. I mean, think about when all the major things that have happened in in history, like 
a lot of black people have set that culture. And there's lots of things, lots of examples to, to kind of go off on this. But the point is, is that it's great until it's not, until it's your child that's, you know, yeah. being mm-hmm. shot at or being, you know, aimed at. Yeah. Also, you know, this is this is what our reality is today. Five to ten years from now, it's going to be the AI algorithms that are shooting at your kids. But do you? Yeah. But does that mean that they're going to be prepared and armed for that? No. I, I mean, as it stands today, they're not. That's what I mean. So, so I'm like, I, so I look at it from a bunch of different standpoints, right? Like my grandparents, like my dad's parents, were sharecroppers with third grade education. They didn't know shit. So, <laughs> like, literally, they didn't know a goddamn thing. And I look at my husband's parents, and his grandfather is president of Tuskegee for, like, 50 years, which is fantastic. But also, what is that getting us right now? Yeah, what does that privilege bring you when, at the end of the day, the cops, like, you're black? Thank you. Thank you. Like, yeah. what, what, do you what do you get of that if somebody stops you today? What do you get? And he doesn't know. So I'm like, okay, cool. We good on that thing. We we we, we agree. But my thing is like with this, it's like you what I'm telling you how to do police. I don't know. Like, what does that mean? Literally, what does it mean? I, I'm tired. Like right. literally, take me to the king. Truth is, I'm tired. <laughs> So really, it, it's tiring. Some days are worse than others. I mean, honestly, you know, I, I have my moments where I'm just like, I'm drained. I don't have an over. I don't have any answers. Everyone's coming to me for the answers. Yeah, I, don't I, I don't. I'm not that bad about it. If I can see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, and I, what I will say is, like, yeah, mom, I was raised primarily by a single mother, and she did everything she could. Even today, she was like oh, what do you have to do today? And I told her, she was like, oh, tell them about that. And I was like, girl, if you don't get to your water class and leave me alone. And, (laughs) but that's the thing. It's like, there's somebody that pushes you and tells you there's a light. I don't, where is the light here? That is the hard part for me is where is the light here? Honestly, and I have a hard part with that in terms of being somebody who has been in and of that technology, I don't see the light. So where is it? So what do we do? This is where I think it really matters to have allies and accomplices where people who are not like us, like I will call out like, okay, Artie and Jacob, we want to hear because we want to know like y'all are working in on the tech. And when you have, you know, what, what can people like us do to make it more compelling for those who are building the, the future, building this technology, that we make this more equitable and more accessible and more just for people, for all people? So I quit my day job in 2016 to be a social entrepreneur and to put all my energy and love and heart and care into trying to see, trying to connect to the heart of all the people. And because I have the privilege I do such that I can do whatever I want all day, (laughs) really. I mean, I have the freedom to go and bootstrap my own business and to build anything that I want to build, right? So what am I going to do with my volts? And I come at it from that perspective. 
of there's a problem of inspiration. There's a problem of vision. There's a problem of creating a circle where we start all on the same side. We look toward the stars and go, what type of world do we want? Because these things that are happening right now are, are twofold and that we've got one system that is all amplify fear, amplify divisiveness, amplify these narratives of victims. You know, I'm a victim and it is, you know, my right to call you out and shame you and be cruel. And it amplifies like crazy on Twitter. And it's, it's an engine. I think of it as like a thermodynamics engine that this amplify fear basically amplifies all of these racial tension dynamics. And the fault is not the technology so much as the spirit of the of the people that is really getting twisted, the narratives that are getting twisted inside us. And the technology is just a mirror of us. And I, I think we need to create space for a higher standard. I think we need to be all on the same side as a humanity to realize that we are all just people and we all have, you know, basic things we need and want and things that are special and valuable and, the things that are worth living for. And those things really don't cost a whole lot of money. And I think we need to set a new precedent for what it means for creating well-being, turn it into a, a community project where we all work together and come up with ideas and vision for how to you know solve these high leverage problems, like reinventing education. Like our education system is just screwed up in so many ways. And if we took the problem of like, okay, how do we help the humans to gain the skills they need to have freedom and choice and skills with, you know, emotional intelligence and cultural interaction. And like, I think if we start focusing around the things that make us beautiful, our stars, our art, our admiring the beauty in all of our different cultures and come up with ways to look at software like reality construction. And that's essentially what we're doing, right? With these platforms is we're building realities. And I think in this next generation, we need to take ownership of a higher calling where we're, we're mixing this spiritual humanitarian kind of anchoring with this concept of, you know, home tree and roots and connecting to the people that are around us, of Mm -hmm. using our skills and capabilities of the people that are right around us to build up these families and children and support system. I think we need to go back to like, almost like we're trees, you know, Mm -hmm. feeling Mm -hmm. our roots again. It's basic. It's basic. Yeah. It's totally like, how do we go back to basics and make that work? Yeah. I, yeah, I totally hear you. And my mom, so for background, my mom was a teacher in Oakland Unified and with Berkeley also for 40 years. And so that is all she cares about is like, how do we serve these kids? 
Like her thing was never about like I I remember when I first started working at a law firm, mom was like, You make how much? <laughs> Cause she was like, What? How how? And I was like, girl, don't worry about it. <laughs> but she literally was like, I don't understand. And I was like, it's not for you to understand. But that is the point is like, that was her service. And that was her mission. It's like, how do we serve these children? How can I serve these children? How can I give them what they deserve based off this amount of money a year? Like, yeah. So I feel like you're onto something, but, and same thing I told her last year, I was like, I think there needs to be a way to figure out how to subsidize that because it isn't enough. So what do we do? How do we do it? Well, this is where a conversation got started yesterday, or I guess it was, it was actually kind of beautiful because it was, we had this amazing impromptu episode that happened when you didn't show up, right? (laughs) And, you know, I feel like it was kind of meant to happen that way. But the thing that we came up with that we started talking about is, you know, what if we set up a open space Mm -hmm. focused around Mm -hmm reinventing education as as like a torch that we can all get around to figure out how do we do family roots using our you know localized skills and things we have to lift you know the next generation as a collaborative effort and we combine our technology powers our artistic creative powers we mix things in that are like super fun, like um, Sam Aaron, who, um, who wrote Sonic Pie. He's going around teaching little kids how to how to code with music, mm-hmm. and and um, there's this you know little girl who is like you know six years old and her six year old birthday. She wanted to DJ for her par- birthday party, and I just thought that was the best thing ever. So she's learning That's how so to cute. DJ. And the thing is, there's no reason that this stuff can't be fun. Like software is like magic. You know, we can bring yeah. our crazy dreams and all of our artwork to life. And I think if we start with the paradigm of owning our, you know, creative powers combined, owning all of our skills and technology and go, okay, like what if we set up an open space and a hackathon and a fundraiser and turn this into a, an event where we start like an industry collaborative effort to genuinely figure out how to solve these problems. And I, I think accessibility to like apprenticeship based style mentorship, mm-hmm. I think is one of the biggest key problems to solve that if we can, if we can crack that nut, one, it has the opportunity to get everyone on the same side, right? It's like <laughs> we all have, you know, kids and families and we, you know, we want people to be our kids to be awesome and have a good, happy life. Like who doesn't want that as a human being, right? Yeah. And if we start from that mindset of inclusive, set up the vision for like an open space event get sponsors and stuff to, to go and help put the thing on. I mean, I I think that's where you start is by creating the space to do the thing. I agree. Um, My thing is like, what has been the hardest for me, not just in working with this organization, but also others is that they want people to be prepared to do 
you know, things for other events. And it's hard because it's like, okay, I can do this, but then this event is having this call at so-and-so o'clock and it may not jive with what you're doing. Like, so the fact that you're thinking about that is key is super key. Cause I mean, we want to do everything we can. And I say that because my husband works for Google. And so he's like, okay, where can I throw my money? Cause I have a budget. Like, where can I throw money? And, but the problem is like, if he doesn't have somewhere he can throw money and it's cohesive, that becomes the issue. I can throw money wherever. Now he don't like that either. Cause he's like, okay, you throw on our money. So can you stop throwing our money? <laughs> but, but I'm like, no, I'm throwing our money for a good reason. And he's like, mm-mm, still no. <laughs> so as much as the current situation dynamic is destructive and scary in a lot of ways. I also see it as a huge catalyst for, you know, Mm -hmm. transformation for people having awakenings where they look at another human being and realize that there's, there's another being inside and they're like a being just like me. Yeah. Yeah. It's that experience. I think of really seeing a mirror of yourself in someone else's eyes that cracks your heart open for life, right? Of when you have that, I think that isn't the issue. Mm-hmm. The issue is more along the lines of like, I see that, you see that, he sees that. The issue around that is like when you're talking to organizations, that's not what they see. Mm-hmm. They see disorganization. Mm-hmm. And I hate that personally. Because I know and I've done this before, but that's what they see. They're like, this is disorganized, so we don't want to support this anymore. And so I want to mitigate that as much as I can. Because I know what you're doing, but but I'm one person and like nobody's listening to me. So what does that look like on a broader scale? I think this is one of those things where I started down this road of having an idea and a vision in my head that I couldn't quite explain that I didn't quite have words for, but I'm like, it's really great. I swear it. I just, you know, and, and so I've been doing keynotes and working on my stage material and trying to figure out how do I put this into some kind of words where people can reach where I am, like make a stepping stone there to see this thing that I can't, I can't quite put into words yet. Mm -hmm. And as I've been on this road, I've been shifting to a place. This is also why I changed my name this year to Artemis star. It was, it was, I turned 40 this year, just had my birthday on, you know, 1116. (laughs) And For me, it was this deliberate decision of choosing my own name, of deciding who I wanted to be in the world and what I was going to live for. Yeah. And I see it as a hat to wear. There's part of the reason I, I mean, you know, this is, this is like my identity right now, you know, on my head, almost like switching into a character that I want to play and learn how to become. Right. And part of that for me is. I will tell you, you're very inspiring. Thank you. Whether you know it or not, that is something I have been deliberating with myself for the last couple months. And seeing you do it makes me comfortable thinking I can do it. 
So I'm, I'm turning my house right now into sister's house and dream scale company headquarters. And we're sort of shifting to a standpoint. I've had people that have just resonated as soul sisters with me in, in various times. Right. And, you know, relationships have shifted and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that have been abandoned by their family (laughs) that Mm -hmm. I've sort of like, you know, picked up that, that didn't have family. And so I offered to be their roots. And, And what I realized as these various people I knew were kind of wandering around the world and struggling that there was this, okay. But that, no, I can't even tell you how moving that is to me because I, I have struggled with that for the last six months. And hearing you say that, that's what I've been talking about and wanting to do. And you've done it. I, I just, ah, I know, but I just, no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you if nobody else will tell you this, I will tell you this today. You're, you are killing it. (laughs) Like, let's know that that's what you're doing. You are inspiring other people who you may not even know that you're inspiring. Cause I didn't know that I could even think about that or want to do that until I saw you do it. So please know that. So if you have nothing else today, <laughs> like somebody might be like, "Ooh, girl, your credit is bad." Then you have this today. <laughs> I think I think we need to plan a little trip and crack open a bottle of wine and hang out. Oh my god, he's so good. But yeah, Jacob, are you going to jump in here? I was just thinking. She she mentioned a few topics back about how she's not sure. Like saying, like it's not her son's job to handle all of that, and I guess the thing that entered my mind is like it's not Barry's job either, <laughs> or like or it shouldn't have to be. I rather um, it, it, it's my job in a different way, in which I mean not in the sense of like it's the it's the job of the predominantly white school to um, teach her son because that would you know could easily be a misinformed education. Um, it's Look, I my, my when my my great grandparents came to this country, they came as Jewish immigrants, and somewhere along the way, I'm just considered white, right? I was given permission to enter the club. I didn't ask to, but that really doesn't matter. And it just seems to me that like one thing that I can do that not just anyone can do is I can talk to people, to other people about me, like what does being white actually mean? Because I think mm. when we talk about race and racism, I think there's a lot of talk about what, what is allyship. Is, sure, that, that, is a, that is like what is allyship? What does that mean? What does it entail? Yeah. Who is included? What do you do? Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's this like really great podcast. It's called Seeing White. Um, that I should put in the show notes. And like the basic thesis of it is like, what would happen if we actually turn the camera around or turn the lens around and say like if we want to talk about race we also need to talk about like what does it mean to be white because mm-hmm. but nobody wants all- to have that conversation no like, but we they need don't to. want to have that conversation unless we're doing like a you know finding forester 
whatever the Michelle Pfeiffer school story was. Like nobody wants to talk about it unless that is that shit. So yeah, and it's not easy, right? Like I wasn't. And I don't think it's. And I want to be clear. I don't think it's easy. Like there's a burden in terms because you have to walk around and know that there is basically a you know, a ghost on your shoulder, like, hey, did you know you didn't get here on your own merit? Did you know you didn't get here for, like, that's hard. But we oh, don't yeah. talk about that part either. And I, I really, 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 and this might be a completely different podcast, but I want to have that conversation. I'm back. Looks like she lost her connection. I'm back. <laughs> Sorry uh, about all that. That's a, that's uh, a, but I'm here. I think we were having a good conversation. So Jacob was mentioning that in response to some of the things like the question you asked about whose responsibility is it? You know, Mm -hmm. the school's responsibility, is it the parents' responsibility? Is it the community's responsibility? That was was really, honestly, and that was hard for me to answer. And Mm -hmm. I knew he had to ask me and he also had to ask his dad. And it turned out we both said both, but we said both in different ways. For me, I said both in the sense that they can give you the general kind of, you know, this is how you talk to police and this is what you do with them. And this is what you say. And I said, but here is the nuance they're not going to give you. And it's not because they don't want to. And I, I wanted to be clear on that point too, because his school was very, very, deferential to people of color. And I was like, it's not that they don't want to, they just don't know. So I'm going to have to tell you how that works after that point. And he stopped and he listened and it breaks my heart. I don't want to have to have that conversation with a nine-year-old. Like I just don't, but it's a nine-year-old who is five feet tall. And so he is more than likely to get stopped. Like his classmates are, you know, they're four foot six. They're not going to get asked, but he will get stopped and asked. And I literally told him, I said, this is what you do. And like the fact that I have to tell my nine-year-old this, it's a lot. I know I have to do it, but I feel like I shouldn't have to do it. And it sucks. Yeah. Like, (laughs) Like it literally, it just sucks. It does suck. But but I'm going to tell you everything I need to tell you from the standpoint of being an attorney, everything I can tell you that's legal for you to stay alive. Because what I would prefer is you come home to me, even if you are limping (laughs) versus you don't come home. Yeah, that's real. But that sucks. It, it's like we shouldn't have to choose the lesser of the two. I, I should not you know, have to choose. Yeah, As a mother, do I tell you what you need to do and what you need to say to stay alive versus if you say this stuff, you have a better chance of staying alive versus if you don't say this stuff, you eh, may may not be. No, but I don't have that choice. And he's young. I mean, nine years old is just, you know, they're babies. They're little. It's a lot. I had yeah. I have taught young people because I have a nursing background and I have been a sex educator, so I've talked to young people for lots of other and things. He doesn't get it to the most yeah. part. Like yeah. so, so he, you know, he's in fourth grade. He doesn't 
Now exactly. I will say I have made him watch. He watched the debates in 2016. He watched both debates. He watched both conventions. He is very astute. So he knows why, but he still doesn't understand why. And that to me is the most hurtful part. I can't give you a good reason for that. I just can't. Like you saw a black president and then you saw a woman and he was like, I want her. And he saw nothing wrong with the fact that like, that's the other thing is like, kids are pure. He was like, I don't understand why somebody wouldn't want her. She can do the job. She's done other jobs. Like why, why don't y'all, what's wrong with (laughs) y'all? And I was like, it's not what's wrong with y'all. It's wrong with them. Right. And, and this is he doesn't understand. And I can't, yeah. and part of me is like, I don't want to do that. Like you need to learn that on your own. Yeah. I want you to come to your own conclusions based off of your own experiences. Don't use my experiences as to why you make lifelong decisions. And I just, I hate that for him because he's so, he's such a pure child and he's mm-hmm. so smart and he, care so much about people and he's so bothered by this and i didn't have answers and he he literally said he was like you an attorney why you ain't got answers and i was like leave me alone (laughs) you know i think it takes a village to do these things right you know i think where we made a mistake in the past of building the United States as we know it was that it was built in the next number of privileged white men, able-bodied white men who had, you know, who could have, but they didn't. And they also didn't know what they didn't know. So, yeah. you know, yeah. we have to take the things for what they were, the, the context for which the realities that they were leaving and, and trying to build for themselves. Yeah, like, but I don't know, even in their wildest dreams, did they, did they think of children? who were nine years old and were five feet. They thought about their children only. Yeah, right. I, I don't think that's Right, it's about, <laughs> it's about like, you know, I mean, I've definitely have encountered people who, I mean, the first time I went to college, it, I was flabbergasted because I went to school, just like you, uh, Bari, I went to school, I stayed local. Mm-hmm. And I went to the a college that was like not even two miles from my high school. And that yeah. was a pretty uh, mixed socially, racially, you know, ethically mixed high school. I go to the college and it, people were calling me colored. And I was like, excuse you, beg your pardon. And the woman, the girl said to me, hey, I, I live in a town of 600 people. You are literally the first colored person. I said, honey, I'm not, co- don't call me colored. But she no, said, no, ma'am. First, no, ma'am. Do you want to fight? <laughs> like, like, do you want to fight? Because if you want to fight, we, you can call me colored right now. Yeah, and I thankfully I had an amazing accomplice of a white woman, of a teacher who who happened to be a lesbian, and she had been uh, discriminated against, you know, predominantly her whole life. So she just was like, "Look, hell to the no, we're not doing this." But she stepped in, and one mm-hmm. of the things that she taught me at that moment was, "It's not Shantae's burden to explain right. to you." Not, yeah. This. So it yeah. takes a, it takes an ally, it takes an accomplice, which is where I was going with that conversation with, like you know, asking somebody like like Jacob, and he was explaining, you know, it's his responsibility. He, he felt that, you know, how would how do we get? I think the thing is, how do we get more white men with privilege? Because they let's face it, they're the ones in the power of this country. 
Uh, more white yeah. men. So that's why I always say I don't like the word diversity. And the yeah. reason why is because when you hear the word diversity, particularly white men, they their eyes glaze over. It's like, oh, this isn't about me. This isn't for me. Not about no. But when you say inclusion, everybody has a story when they have been excluded from something, whether it's the kickball team or, you know, you didn't get included on that work trip, whatever. Everybody has an exclusion story. Everybody does not have a diversity story. And so I don't love the word diversity personally. And I'm very clear about that. I like the word inclusion. So how do we make that more prominent and make that something that is holistic and part of people's stories? Right. Touche. <laughs> I think um, one of the other things that I will say just about that real quick, and I want, I would love to hear Jacob say something about this, but just that I think, well, in my company at The Darkest Horse, we talk about diversity being the lagging metric and never the leading metric because you don't go in saying, Oh, I'm going to make a cake for diversity. Like I'm not going to make a banana pudding uh, with banana pudding. You make it with all the ingredients and it comes out to be banana pudding. Right. That's right. Right. And it, yeah. So it takes special conditions and all that stuff, which is what I would call like inclusion and accessibility and, and equity. And mm -hmm. then you get things like diversity and then you get things like belonging because you right. did it with intention right. with love and with these parameters like okay so this is great but you know i i think you're to your point about people saying when we start to say like oh what's your diversity story people are like ah that just feels exclusive i mean and that's just my personal opinion on that like other people right. might really like the word diversity and i don't hate on that i'm just saying for me personally i don't because it makes people's eyes glaze over and it makes them feel excluded and the first thing yeah. I think is like, but we need to draw more people in. Right. And so that doesn't, that word doesn't do it. And so when you talk about inclusion or like, and then you if people talk about when they were like, oh, I didn't get chosen for the kickball team till last. Okay. So let's talk about that. Right. How does that make you feel? Because when you talk about how people feel, that's when you get somewhere. Right. And that is what I care about. If I talk about how you feel and then how does that relate to how minorities feel and how does that relate to a workplace? Now we're going somewhere. But prior to that, it's just a word that's, you know, diversity that you your eyes glaze over because you're like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I'm thinking about it now just inclusion has has a verb has action like something you can actively do to go and do including sorts of behavior it makes right? you yeah it makes you want to go do something yeah. after you sure versus and to me that's part of it too like i don't i don't know about you i i am a girl from east oakland so when i hear a word and you give me a verb i'm about it i'm doing it period i i always laugh when an individual is referred to as diverse because it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, well, I mean, like what that, what I always read that as is like, they're the person that is checking the box. Right. Right. Exactly. Because, exactly. Because you, a, a diverse, you can have a diverse workplace 
because you know you you compare everyone on the team and sort of measure that they have diverse they have diversity across different axes and you know of experiences and class right. and race and gender but yeah like when they when you call it individual diverse like that's you're you're showing your cards to me <laughs> yeah and to me i i look at that stuff even you know it's like how are you valuing it how do you value it and if you see that, okay, now people are putting it into different boxes and they want to have a holistic viewpoint, at least that's what they say when they check these boxes. But you're still not really checking the boxes. What are you doing? And who are you doing it for? And again, when I tell you I am a girl from East Oakland, I will call you on your shit. I'm like, I'm like, what are you doing? And why? And for who? <laughs> yeah, for who? <laughs> for what? Like, I don't have a problem with that. So, yeah. Oh, it's deep. And I think it's very deep. And people, but they don't acknowledge that part of it. It's like they think if you check. So, this is my issue. I will say when I joined Facebook, the biggest, biggest issue I had, they gave money to Black Girls Coat. And it was the same year that Prince, I guess, was at Essence. And they gave all this money and they, they just gave the money and they walked away. And I came back like six months later, like, hey, whatever happened to these people you wrote this money for? And like, what what happened to this cohort? And they didn't have any information. And I was like, what the fuck do you mean you don't have any information? And they were like, oh, well, we didn't track it. What the fuck do you mean you didn't track it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, your job is to, you should have metrics. You don't have any. Yeah, I mean. And I, I'm a lawyer, so I literally could give a fuck about a metric. But I'm telling you, you don't have a metric? You don't have a metric. And they were like, no, we don't. And I said, oh, okay, bye. Mm-hmm. You don't care about this. Like, let's just be clear. Say you don't care about this and let's go. It's faster. Yeah, that's not the PC thing to do, right? So they don't do it. But at the end of the day, at, at the end of the day, what it really came down to is the people who had the power and the privilege did not care or didn't see the error of their own ways, which is still a problem either way. I mean, it's yeah, hard to say. Like, who you but care? I can who tell you, it? somebody who sees this on the front line, like this pisses me off because yeah. first off, you're creating a program that doesn't have metrics, which is like, why? Yeah, and that's number one. About your spend. Why are you spending money that you're not? What are you doing? Right. Like for what? Like just say we gonna throw money at some shit and then we gonna walk away. Like that's fast. That's easier. Yeah. But you literally created a program with metrics. You are not tracking the metrics. You don't know what happened to the money. You don't know what happened to the cohort. You like get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Stop wasting all of our time. Well, hey, for a company that, that knows how to track some analytics, I find it hard to believe that nobody was tracking anything. So it's Thank about, you. it wasn't that they didn't know how to track, it's that they, they weren't they tracking want that. To. You Thank track you. what you want. You do track what you what you value, what you think. I mean, look, I track my check. Thank you. And that money. was the whole point. Is like, you don't think this is valuable, so you don't want to track it. So let's say that and go home. I'm not here to bullshit. Like I, you tell me whatever. I don't care. Like, I don't care. I may not like it. 
and you may tell me this and I may cuss you out when you say it, but I'm still going to be like, okay, cool. You said it and now we done, but you are doing all of this and you don't actually care. And if you don't care, walk away and let people who care actually do the work. I have such a fundamental problem with the idea of people throwing money at something that they don't even care about. Like go the fuck away, literally go the fuck away. Right. And, and so throwing money at something is not the answer. No other, but see, the thing is we talk a lot about when the, in the inclusion work I do, it's like taking space and making space in this instance. you're And they're doing neither. Well, they were taking up the space because move out of the way. Exactly. But they're doing neither. So you're taking up the space, but you're also not making the space. Yeah. yeah. Get the fuck out the way. Period. (laughs) Just move. Yeah. We got to find a way to do away with big conglomerates that are dominating the tech world. And this is. I tell you, I had to have this whole conversation with my mom when I left Facebook. She was like, why would you leave Facebook? That's such a good company. I was like, this is exactly why. Because they are taking up space and not making space. And then the part of them taking up space, it's so that they can control the narrative and conversation. And I'm not, I'm not about that life. Yeah. If you ain't really doing shit, get out the fuck my way. Period. <laughs> From your mouth to their ears. I, literally, I'm on some ludicrous move, bitch. <laughs> And right. like, kids. I was like, I can't. Well, you know, my mom is a boomer. I hate. Okay, boomer. But she's okay, boomer. But she was like, but if you say this, are you going to be in trouble? Girl, it's going to happen to you. And I, he- I hear that. Like, I-, I get it. And I appreciate that she was worried about it. Right. And I said, I don't care. That's the difference between where I am right now <laughs> and where you were. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like you always told me it's fine to be the first. Well, it's not fine, but yeah. And she always said, it's fine to be the first, but make sure you're not the last. Ooh, that's a beautiful quote. Right yeah. There. And I said, so I'm doing all the shit I can to not be the last. And you asking me right now about some shit that will make me the last <laughs> ma'am. And she was like, but are you going to get in trouble? Right. Are you going to be okay? And I was like, it doesn't fucking matter at this point. This is where I am. And this is what I care about. So at the end of the day, right? what going back to what Artie was saying, like sometimes you do have to like strip down the identity in which you had and build a new one and stand for something. You have what? to. I told her, I was like, you shit. Who, who did you think you were right? Ra- like, what did you think you raised? Right. You didn't raise a timid person. Mm-hmm. And so if you thought you did, you're surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but like, no, you told me to stand up. You are the person I watched do Black History Month in April. Because just on principle, you didn't want to do it in February. <laughs> <laughs> like, what did you think was going to happen? Who am I? <laughs> and she's like, I guess that's fair. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's very fair. So no, I'm not doing whatever somebody else tells me to do. I wasn't raised that way, literally. So, and if you're not comfortable with that, you should 
probably talk to your own therapist. I ain't got nothing on that for you. But, <laughs> but yeah, I literally was not raised to be that person. So and I can say the same thing. We, we, we're going to definitely have to have you come back to do a part two. Do it with her. Oh, my God. Do it okay, with next time the she is a mess. Mom, mom's got to be here for the next call. So we're doing it. <laughs> I have to jump soon, y'all. I have to jump, and I hate to—I hate to cut this beautiful, amazing conversation. But I have to jump, and I want to make sure that, I, that we go around and give some reflections. So you want to do yours first, so you can opt out or leave early. Yeah, I will. I will say this, Barry. You are the real deal. I've been following you, and you know, you know, up in your Twitter and LinkedIn, and even sometimes Facebook. And I just have like admired you and the work you've been doing. And just to get on here today and hear you be so real and so raw and to come from a heartfelt place means everything to me. And I think, you know, the world is changed by a few people. It's not a whole lot of people. When we think about history, it takes a few, not a whole entire nation all the time. So I just want to say, keep fighting the good fight. I think this is the beginning of something great. I want to continue the conversation. And you taught me a lot. Just getting on here and talking and being real is valuable. So thank you so much. Thank you. I, I don't even know what to say to that. I like, honestly, honestly like, like, you shouldn't even have me next time. Just take, take Linda. Linda. She'll give you whatever. <laughs> no, she, she will give you some real, real stories because she's retired at this point. So she can talk. And free. she saw OUSD and she saw Berkeley Unified and she was one of a few black teachers trying to do what she was doing. So yeah, it might be more useful to have her than me. Because <laughs> she can tell you. So I feel you there. But I appreciate that because I really feel like I am, I wouldn't even say my ancestors' wildest dreams. I, I am my mom's wildest dreams. And so mm-hmm. talking to her, She'll tell you the real, real, because that's some stuff she can tell you now that she could. <laughs> I, I heard it when I was like eating dinner at like, you know, ninth grade, but she can tell you for real. Well, hey, then we're interested. Let's set it up. But I appreciate that. Of course. Thank you. You want to go, Jacob? Yeah, I was just thinking about how my son's only two, but I want him to know that. Should he ever have an encounter with the police? I want him to know that that encounter will be fueled by his race as well. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. fortunately, he won't have to be scared by that. But I want him to know, I want him to at least be troubled by that fact, but due to that diversity. So, yeah, that's just what I was thinking about. I think this is probably the most intense you know, episode I've been on in a while. I mean, in a good way. There's some correlating threads that stand out to me. One, these multi-generational roots. Mm. And you mm-hmm. talked about how, I mean, even just now, that you you are sort of a set of dreams that was passed down through generations, in a way, of becoming your own being, of the being raised to stand up and be proud of, of you to own your voice, to say what you think, to be your authentic you at the same time as you be a tree, you be 
roots for the people around you in your community and you see from this perspective of social grounding. And I think of all things that has been lost in the world right now as we've gotten you know absorbed in this digital space is this loss of grounding, this loss of our roots that your vantage point that you see from is what needs an amplifier right now. Mm. Really. It's getting back to that. And so that's kind of the thought that's on my mind right now is that you represent a certain meaning to me of what it means to, to get back to connection and home and our center tree and roots. I think that's a great message too, especially considering everyone's going to go home for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Or be around people for Thanksgiving and how do you relate to them? What do you talk to them about? What are the things that you connect to? And it doesn't have to be contentious conversations or like, hey, I'm talking about this and you're like not for impeachment. No. What do you connect to? Yeah. Who do you connect to? I think the biggest thing for me is my husband, we went to a we went to a, a memorial service on Tuesday and what was crazy is like this man is he was like such a fantastic honorable man his he had a memorial service at Chase Center on Monday and then they had a smaller service on Tuesday for his family and friends and even then we were like what the hell because like Kirk Franklin popped up and did a five song concert we were like what we have somewhere to be by two o'clock like what is it (laughs) but just thinking about like, to me, I looked at it from the standpoint of, Oh my God, I understand completely what this man's sons are going through. Like if someone did this and my mom, I wouldn't know what to say. And not because she's not awesome, but I know what my mom is to me. I don't know what she is to other people. And so it is really just kind of sitting and thinking about that in the, in the standpoint of like, who are you? And who are you to other people? And what would you want other people to say about you? And how does that resonate with other people? It's very easy in my sense, because my mom was a teacher, so I know her students would say X, Y, and Z, and this is how they feel, and blah, blah, blah. But when you're not, in my case especially, (laughs) how do you want that to look and feel? And how do you relate that to other people? And what do you take from that? Like, Literally take that and marinate it for Thanksgiving. It's like, what am I thankful for? Yeah. Who, who am I thankful for? I'm not thankful for my in-laws. I can tell you that. Nobody asked me that, but still, I'm telling you that. Nobody asked me that, but I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm not thankful for my in-laws. But what I am thankful for in that response is like, I know what I'm not thankful for. I know who I do want my kids to emulate. I know what I am thankful for in terms of what gets done around my home and who does it and how it's done and who my kids look up to and who they love. Like really kind of take that in. Like that's what I, that's what we took from it. So if there's anything I can impart to you, it, it would be that. What are you thankful for? And really, really be thankful for it this week. Because it could not be there tomorrow. And that sucks to say, but like literally we were at Afrotech and we watched Bernard give this talk 
And he literally went home, ate dinner, and died, which is crazy. Because we saw him at Fast Company at a conference earlier that week. And then we were at Afrotech at home. And then he literally went home and ate dinner and died. So if you have the chance, don't take it for granted. Sorry, I hope I'm not morbid. Not at all. I mean, I think it's the finiteness of things that makes them so precious. It's it's that, you know, we don't have forever. It's that we have the beauty of being alive, being able to connect. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think part of that is when we pour time, when we pour our hearts into a craft, into making a gift, into creating happiness for someone else, all of these sorts of things, you know. Yeah. It's it's a way to also get in touch with our gratitude within ourselves of just like, wow, you know, I'm really thankful for these awesome people and experiences I got to have. And how can I return a little joy in their lives right now? How can I create a little joy for my mom? So like my mm-hmm. mom, for example, like I grew up and I, I ran away. <laughs> I, I grew up in Oregon. And then, you know, when I turned 18 and graduated high school, I packed up my car and drove off to California. And, you know, it wasn't until I got older because my mom always wanted to connect with me and stuff, but it was like this overbearingness that I wanted to get away from. And then there was like this point in time that happened where just various things happened in my life that led me to seeing my mom, like really seeing the echo of my mom and myself and realizing what it was that she wanted and needed in in connection to me and thinking about how I could give that to her. And so mm-hmm. now I have my mom like going and taking pictures of little flowers and things as she's going for walks and sending me pictures and stuff every day. And she's so happy now running around taking all these little pictures and things to share with me. And so I spent time finding ways to like give her little things that she can do to feel connected to me and give her that feeling of connection in ways that are sustainable for me. And it's hard. Like one thing I tried to do, and I think I realized it maybe a year or so ago. And I said, (laughs) I did a whole Facebook post about it. And I was like, adulting is hard. Like adulting is hard and also it sucks. Like I didn't sign, I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to, who said I wanted to do this? Cause I don't, <laughs> but, but that's what it is. And it's one thing that I, I said in this post, and my mom isn't on Facebook. She's not on Instagram. She's not on anything. But I said, it made me give my parents more grace because I understood that what they were trying to do wasn't necessarily easy and they were doing it because they had to mm-hmm. and once you realize you have to do something that's a completely different proposition than if you want to yeah and so they had to do something and adulting parenting figuring out who's going to pay for what how is going to work how we do this how would It's hard. It's not fun. It's not easy, especially if you're not with that person anymore. Like you really would rather this person like die in a fire. I I don't even know how my parents made it through me being alive because my mom, literally my mom, I I feel like my mom's a saint. And I say that. And that's why I was like, if you want to have somebody else on, have her. Don't you don't even put me on. She was a teacher for 40 years in public school. 
And she divorced somebody and literally left and packed all her bags and took only the stuff that she could take because they were divorced and they had a prenup. And my dad was a sports agent and she was like, I would rather leave everything I have in this moment than try to work some shit out with you because it's not worth that. So, (laughs) so bye. And I have so much respect for that. It was very, very hard, but she was like, "Mm -mm. I have self-respect and I'm not doing this. So I look at people who are able to do those types of things to me are mentors. Cause I don't know as, as strong as I am, I don't know I could do that. I just, honestly, I'm saying, I don't know. My husband can come to me today and be like, Hey, did you know I have twins from this side chick in Minnesota? And I'd be like, Oh damn. Uh, are you paying child support? <laughs> Let's figure this out. Cause I don't know if I'm ready to leave. Yeah, I wouldn't say I wouldn't leave, but I would have a plan to leave. But my mom was like, nope, I don't care. Bye. And that is a whole different proposition where you're like, Mm-mm-mm. she's fantastic. And she is literally the grandma that is here three days a week. My kids are like, grandma, grandma, grandma. Like I could show them and they're like, grandma. And I'm like, okay, well, fine, whatever. Don't eat then tonight. (laughs) But yeah, that is a whole different level of resilience and strength that I don't know. I personally am equipped for in this moment. I could probably get there. But today, right now, at this moment, at Friday at 11 a.m. No, I don't have Maybe call me in 10 minutes. I might have it, but not right now. But my mom is a shit. So if you want another guest. I'm looking forward to it. That sounds wonderful. She's it. But yeah. All right. So we will have to hook that up so our listeners can look forward to another really wonderful episode here. And we can kind of maybe make some ties into some of the things as they come up too. That'd be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. So this was really great. Thank you again. And this has been such a wonderful episode and I'm looking forward to connecting too. Likewise.